Support for the Lincoln Project podcast comes from Odoo. If you feel like you're wasting time and money with your current business software, or just want to know what you could be missing, then you need to join the millions of other users who've switched to Odoo. Odoo is the affordable, all-in-one management software with a library of fully integrated business applications that help you get more done in less time for a fraction of the price. To learn more, visit odoo.com Lincoln. That's O-D-O-O dot com slash Lincoln. Odoo, modern management made simple. Hey guys, it's Reed. Before we get started, now is the time to get involved. We're almost to the end of the first quarter of 2023. We got nine months to build out the field army for the pro-democracy movement to make sure it's ready to fight in 2024. Go to jointheunion.us and sign up today. Sign up to do your part in the fight for our future. Jointheunion.us. And now, on with the show. Welcome back to The Lincoln Project. I'm your host, Reed Galen. Today, I'm once again joined by comedian and rising TikTok influencer, Maya May. Maya, welcome back. Thank you. I'm excited to be here, Reed, though the world of TikTok might just whisk me away. So, Well, if so, then I'll soldier on solo, but hopefully they'll give you the next 45 minutes or so anyway. So Maya, today we're back again together for another round of questions and answers from our always thoughtful Lincoln Project community. We've taken these questions from social media, emails, town halls. And so to those of you listening, if you have a question, don't be shy about asking. You may hear it on a future podcast. If you guys have questions you want answered, send them to podcast at lincolnproject.us. And Maya, let's get into it. First topic here, Maya, is Fox News. Robin Ann S. on Instagram asks, can Fox be forced to tell its viewers that it has been feeding them lies? This is a great question, Maya, because I think it's important to understand how desperate Fox News is to keep its viewers inside the bubble it's created for them and all of the noise and literally reality that's going on outside those airwaves 24-7 away from its viewers. Is there any way to force them to talk about it? Well, I would say this is that I would assume that Fox News's lawyers are telling all of its on-air talent don't say word one about being sued by Dominion Voting or Smartmatic, which is going to be another almost $3 billion libel suit against Fox. And so they have to gin up and amp up the number of lies that they're telling, not only because they want to avoid talking about the lawsuit, but also they want to avoid desperately talking about what the lawsuit is producing, which is the honesty about how much Tucker Carlson hates Donald Trump, about how Carlson, Sean Hannity, Laura Ingram, Rupert, and Lachlan Murdoch, they all knew that Donald Trump lost the 2020 election. But they all went along with the lie because they were desperate to hold on to their viewers. And so I think that the only way, Maya, that they'll probably be forced to say anything is at the end of a trial if a judge says, Fox News, you must on the air apologize to Dominion, apologize to Smartmatic, and state unequivocally that you knew what you were saying was untrue and you said it anyway. Yeah. And truth be told, which it won't be, but let's say it were, every single Fox viewer, I would 
say is going to look at that as a hostage video, that they are being forced to say those things under duress. I wouldn't be surprised if Tucker gave a little wink and it's like, that's my signal that I don't really mean the things that I say because the Fox News viewers are complicit in it just as much as the television personalities are like they're celebrities and so they look up to them they want them to lie to them and so even if they were to come forward and say oh we're telling you the truth now that we were lying then no one's buying it so at this point it doesn't matter the truth has been so convoluted and mixed up with the lies that they can't tell which way it's up it's like when a scuba diver gets all confused underwater and doesn't know how to find the surface anymore that's, to me, what a Fox viewer is. They, they couldn't find the surface for the life of them. Well, because finding the surface, Maya, also indicates what we've talked about and Trigvi Olson on our team has talked about, which is that cognitive dissonance, that sort of friction inside your head where the truth starts to invade. And there are very few people who will follow that thread of truth back into the real world, back into the sunlight. But more often than not, to your point, people go deeper and deeper into the abyss because it is too painful to accept that maybe I've been taken this whole time, that maybe these people got one over on me. There's a pretty fundamental point of clarity, I guess, that you have to say, oh my God, what have I been doing? Have I been asleep this whole time? Now, some of that will occur naturally, and history shows this. When the sort of demagogic leader like a Carlson or a Trump disappears from the scene, there is that sort of Rip Van Winkle psychology that takes over, go, what the heck have I been doing? But while these people are so firmly entrenched, both the viewers and the Tucker Carlsons of the world, you're right. I think that it is unlikely that even when faced with the truth, that they would accept it for what it is. All right. Staying on Fox, Maya, Timothy Beatty asks, now that Fox News has been uncovered for what it is, not a legit news organization, but a GOP propaganda arm, have you had any GOP family or friends admit to you all now that you were right about Fox all along? This goes back to the same thing we were just talking about. I mean, I don't know about you, but I have family in which in their homes, Fox is on all day and all night. They turn it on in the morning and it is background noise all day. To get them to admit somehow that the station that they've tuned into 24-7 for the better part of the last, say, 15 or 20 years, right? This is not a short-term phenomenon either, Maya. The thing launched in 1996, we're going on 30 years here, is something that, again, maybe you'll get them here and there, but not likely in mass. And even if you did say they were lying, they'd still say something like, yeah, but Joe Biden's senile. Democrats are really communists, whatever the second layer of defense would be, if that makes sense, Maya. Yeah, I don't have friends and family that watches Fox News. I immediately cut them off when they tell me that they do. So I don't have to worry about that. But this is what I can say. Have you ever tried to convince someone of something that they so desperately want to believe? It's damn near impossible. And so I actually spent part of the break watching Fox News every day, all day in the background. It was traumatizing in a way, but it was also eye-opening because I literally turned it on from the minute I started working out, watched it on my phone, put it on the background while I worked all day, and I heard the same stories from different personalities all day, nonstop, 
every hour on the hour, just rehashing it from somebody else's perspective. But it was always the border, the border, the border, the budget. What I realized is if that is what you're consuming all day, every day, like towards the end of the day, I was like, yeah, yeah, we got to do something about that border crisis because that's how programming works. And so the idea that a lie exposed would somehow undo the damage created by years of that seems to me an impossibility. Like it's not going to be a lie exposed. It's going to be counter programming and media literacy that's going to get those friends and family to actually wake up to the fact that they've been lied to and that there is a whole other world out there that actually isn't that scary. But you make a good point, though. You made a good point earlier, and I think it's important to understand this, too, is that many of the people that are watching this stuff, this is what they want. We should say, yes, they're being fed lies, propaganda, brainwashing, and everything else. But most, I would say, of all of these people are willing participants, as you noted. These are people for whom the outside world is a scary place, that the fentanyl brown people are coming and all of the money that we're sending to Ukraine for it to fight off Russia should be going to the border. Or now you can even see maybe we should just invade Mexico and take on the cartels, right? Or Silicon Valley Bank, it's not really that they made a lot of bad bets and they lobbied to have their own rules reduced. It's that they had an ESG program or they had a fairly diverse board, right? It was wokeism that made these MBAs white guys, right, who were all the people that made the decisions, somehow make bad decisions. When in reality, they got greedy, they made bad bets in a low interest rate environment and went to a high interest rate environment, and they got caught upside down and they had the worst corporate communications in recent memory. And, you know, these guys are going to lose a bunch of money. The depositors are going to keep their money. But on Fox News, it's wokeism. On Fox News, the train derailment in East Palestine, Ohio, was not the fault of Donald Trump scaling back regulations. It's the fact that gay Pete Buttigieg and his husband didn't show up for two weeks, right? I don't want to call it alternative facts. I don't want to call it fake news. We should call it what it is, Maya. It is fiction. This is fiction that they peddle all day, every day. They do it for a very particular reason. And if you follow the likes of Juliet Jeske and Kat Abu, who follow Fox all day, every day, you can see that even sometimes they can divine that Fox has run out of things to lie about, Maya. So they have to go back to like, is Barack Obama really American? And why isn't Hillary Clinton in jail? Right? Like they sometimes have to hit the reset button because even they can't figure out enough bullshit to keep the flow going. I had never seen Anchorman until the other day, I have to admit. I'm embarrassed by that as a comedian. But when I saw the line about diversity being an old ship, and I was like, oh, my goodness. And I was like, that's all of Republican men right now are all going on air, on the record, blaming everything on diversity. And that's when you know, like, it's not just the fiction read, because it's like, yes, it's the fiction. But it's the fiction meant to distract and confuse. Like they're magicians at this point. They're like, hey, look over here. And we're going to talk about the woke policies of SVB instead of maybe going to their About Us page and seeing that their CFO was formerly the CFO of Lehman Brothers. And maybe the person who was in charge of finances at a bank that went broke during the 2008 financial crisis is not somebody who should be the steward 
of money and financial decisions at a bank that handles the accounts for dozens and dozens of prominent startups. And so nobody wants to look at that. Everybody just wants to look over here. And obviously this hits very close to home for me because now I'm like, oh, I don't know if you saw the Wall Street Journal article where I can't remember the name of the journalist, but he posited that part of the problem at SVB is the fact that, well, there was one black, as he put it, a couple of LGBTQ people and I think a woman. And he's like, I'm not saying that if it was just 12 white men that this wouldn't have happened. And I'm like, okay, like, is that where we're at? Because we're all talking about now at this point, fellow citizens. And that's a very dangerous place to be when you have Fox News openly weaponizing their viewers against people simply because they are black or brown or female or LGBTQ. I think you're making a good point here, which is the dog whistle has been morphing into a bullhorn for years, decades even. It's now fully fledged a bullhorn and it will only grow in that respect. You know, the Wall Street Journal is supposed to be the quote unquote respectable part of sort of the News Corp Rupert Murdoch family, right? It's supposed to be this, the one with serious news, a serious opinion section, right? The place where business people could go for what was, you know, maybe a conservative bent, but not crazy. And now well, the Wall Street Journal's going there too. And this is one thing that I've said before, and I'll say it again, and we're going to see it between now and the end of next year, which is when push comes to shove, all of these individuals, all of these outlets, all of these groups, when given the option to tell the truth and even nudge themselves, Maya, back towards the light or go deeper into the darkness for what they believe to be short-term political and or financial gain, they always go to the darkness. Always, always, always. You can set your clock by it. You can set your watch by it. They will always go towards the darkness for short-term gain because the idea of going against the grain, even in a minute way, even briefly, makes them believe that somehow they will shed their viewers, they will shed their readers, it will bring the trolls, and maybe it will. But I think it also gives you a sense of, you know, what I've been saying for years is, you know, MAGA, America First, the Republican Party, whatever you want to call it, it is an organization only destined for power, money, and acquisition of territory, literal and otherwise, which makes it an authoritarian movement, but also makes it a gang. All right. Let's see. Jonna Valentine asks, I love the latest LP ad about Fox News ignoring Trump. I know that you always target your ads to specifically be seen by Donald Trump, like when he's at Mar-a-Lago or Bedminster. I saw this ad online. But will this ad actually air on Fox News in some places? If so, that's amazing. Jonna, this is a great question. This ad will not air on Fox News. We have learned as of this morning as we're recording this that Fox News will not allow our latest spot to run on either their direct affiliates or their cable systems or affiliate cable systems throughout the country because they do not allow advertising that mentions them, uses their content or whatever, but certainly has anything to do with, I think there, it's like there was an expression, Maya, they use that like contrary to Fox News purposes or whatever. So we're not surprised at all. Yeah, I'd love to know the, um, I don't know the demographics, like the age range of people who are tuning in because it, I do think it does tend to trend older. And this is where I would love to see the younger generation and the Gen Zers 
come through and say, hey, this is elder abuse. This is abusing the the consciousness of my parents, of my grandparents, and it's pulling them into this world to do what? To sell them a product, to sell them fear, and then to sell them a product that helps alleviate that fear as opposed to them actually joining a reality. Because this is the thing about the reality. Reality is always happening. It's going to continue to creep up on these people. And so what are they going to do when the changing demographics actually do catch up with them and they have not been able to adapt to this new world that we're living in? They can't consistently fight against the progress that's happening because the progress is inevitable. You're not going to have all of a sudden, people who are graduating from college now, and, I, and I'm thinking specifically about Florida, you're not going to have people going, hey, I love having my rights taken away. I want to go backwards. That's never going to happen. So you're going to have a constant resistance of people who are pushing forward. And if they don't want to live in reality, they're going to end up falling even further behind. Right. You asked the question, you know, who are the people that watch? Now, this was 2019 Pew Research Center survey showed that among those who named Fox News as their main source, 69% were aged 50 or older. You know, and I bet that that's probably ticked up even more so since then, just because some of those people have died and they're not, you know, younger people are not taking over. But the point is, is it's definitely an older white demographic. And you see that these are very popular shows, right? I mean, The Five has like three and a half million viewers every afternoon. I mean, to me, it's unwatchable, but there's a lot of people that tune into this stuff. And I think, Maya, the, the thing that we shouldn't underestimate, too, is whether or not it's the five in the afternoon or Tucker in particular, is that the people who are watching live are just the tip of the iceberg. This stuff gets repackaged and pushed around through so many different people, Fox in and of itself through its various online and social outlets, that it reaches you know, probably 10 or 20x that number of people by the time it's all said and done. Yeah, I'd like to believe and I certainly hope that some of those numbers are people like me who are watching, uh, hate watching (laughs) and going, what in the world are we seeing here? Because, again, like it's just not reality. And so it's a reality they're creating for themselves and it's a nightmare reality. And so there's got to be a way. And perhaps it's not by putting ads on Fox News since they will not accept those. But at some point, there's got to be a way to reach people who are plop down in front of the television watching it all day. And I think one of the things I like to do on TikTok actually is I use hashtags that are specifically for Republicans of Instagram. That's not typically now your traditional Republicans. Those are MAGA Republicans. And so with hashtags, you can put your content in front of people who will, it will bring out the trolls. But I found that too on TikTok. And I actually, I love it. Because they they go crazy in the comments, Maya, because they say, how did you get on my page? Get off my page. I didn't ask for you. And it's like, well, I am a Luddite, right? I am a almost 47-year-old bald white man. But I understand hashtags enough to know how to find you there, Billy Boy. And I'm going to do this all the time. Yeah, once I discovered it, at first I didn't like the trolls. Then suddenly I started to gauge my content by how many trolls I have. It's sort of a really twisted dopamine rush, Maya. I got to be honest with you. The fact that they're so easy to enrage, that the snowflake level is so high amongst people who are sort of part of the fuck your feelings crowd, pardon my French, is fascinating to me. But it also tells you what you need to know about them, which is any interaction with something that doesn't agree with them is a traumatic event that results in the kind of stuff that you and I see in our feeds. But I would also say that given 
the number of people that we know are part of our union efforts, part of our pro-democracy efforts out in places that are key electoral college states for 2024, you know, we will be talking a lot about, you know, our communications core and our counter-programming core that will be standing up as we get into the spring, which we saw we did in 2020. We called them troll stompers. And for very little work, you can set that whole ecosystem into a tizzy because they're so used to having it all to themselves. All right, let's move on from Fox. There's always more to come back to Fox, to the Wisconsin Supreme Court election, where you and I, as we're recording this, will be heading to Wisconsin for the first leg of our pro-democracy tour with our union partners this weekend. I'm very much looking forward to it. But Evelyn Flowers asks, I've been hearing in passing about the Wisconsin Supreme Court election and how the result could be crucial for democracy, but I don't really know the details. What are the stakes and possible outcomes? So the bottom line here, Evelyn, is that the Wisconsin Supreme Court is a one-vote swing. Up to now, it has been a conservative, one-vote conservative majority. There's a seat open now where the judge who won the primary, right, it was sort of a jungle primary, all these people were in it together, is a Democrat jurist, a, a liberal jurist, who won significantly. In fact, I think she might have garnered more votes than the rest of them combined. She's up against the sort of average Trumpy judge. And why it's important is because what we want to make sure of is as Governor Evers there in the Wisconsin legislature are preparing for the 2024 election, we do not want a conservative majority in the Wisconsin Supreme Court to be able to overturn, let's say, rules that make it easier to vote, that make voting more accessible to more people. This is anathema to the Republican Party as we know now. And so why it's important is because the idea of having jurists who are making determinations about how individual voters can and can't participate, or even how those votes might be counted, is something that we have to take very seriously, because especially in those states like Arizona, Nevada, Minnesota, Michigan, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, North Carolina, we have to make sure that everything can be done to ensure that every last part of those elections in 2024 are above board. Yeah, and I think for the average American, and I'm going to include myself in that, we have no idea how the battleground for democracy plays out in the courts just as much as it's playing out at the ballot box. And so Republicans, MAGA Republicans in particular, I think take advantage of that. Most people don't know what judges are on their ballots, what those judges stand for. Because traditionally, it's not something that we've had to care about because we haven't had a political party that has been hell-bent on using the rules and using the judicial branch to upend democracy. So I think it's so important because we're playing a lot of catch-up right now. And that's part of the reason why we're doing the democracy town hall in Wisconsin is to bring attention to the fact that we have to pay attention to what is happening up and down the ballot. And that includes judges as well and having a better understanding of how a activist judge, a MAGA activist judge can affect what will happen in the presidential election. So I'm glad that people are hearing about it and that we're sounding the alarm about it with enough time for people to pay attention. Right. And the, uh, the election is next month. So if you are in Wisconsin and you are registered to vote, get out there and vote ASAP if you are eligible and if early voting is open. I'm not even sure. So we'll put some information in the show notes about that. All right, Maya, let's move on to 2024. 
Tristan Franklin says, I completely agree with all of you at the Lincoln Project that Ron DeSantis will never be president. But I keep seeing his poll numbers rise. At what moment do you think we'll see numbers start to match with what we all know will happen eventually? Maya, this is a great question. I've been saying since late last year that I thought that Ron DeSantis is an overbought political stock. And you've seen that the DeSantis bubble has been inflating in a hurry. He's been moving around the country now. He's been to Iowa. He's been to Nevada. He went to Staten Island for some cop event, whatever the case might be. The problem is with these things, Maya, is that one, he hasn't officially declared his candidacy. Two, he's got about another five or six weeks until the end of his legislative session, which is reasonably speaking the earliest that he could announce. So that puts us into May. And, you know, it's one of those things. It's like when you fill the balloon too fast, it pops, right? You want a slow, steady increase in the mass. And we're going to keep using this bad metaphor of the balloon, whatever it is, so that when it's full, it's stable, that the outer surface of your campaign, of your effort is stable. It's not pushed too far. Because the other part about it being pushed out too far too fast is that it only takes somebody with a little pin to go pop, and the whole thing goes And DeSantis hasn't taken on Trump yet. DeSantis hasn't taken on the other opponents that he's going to have yet. DeSantis hasn't taken on the opposition researchers of the Republican Party, who don't want him to be president, the Democratic Party, who don't want him to be president, the media, who I'm sure are getting inundated with all sorts of stuff from different people. And he hasn't yet done, you know, a freewheeling swing. It's one thing to say, I'm going to go to Iowa and do an event. It's another thing to say, I'm going to go to Nevada and do an event. It's another thing to say, I'm going to do a four-day swing through every part of Iowa, as many of the big counties out of the 99, day in and day out, on a plane, off a plane, on a bus, off a bus, in a car, out of a car. You can do it for a week, but the grinding nature of a presidential campaign for a guy who doesn't seem to have a sense of humor to begin with, who has a very thin skin, balloon or otherwise, to begin with, this is not a fun thing to do. It's not. And things don't go your way. Everything happens. And once you hit the road, you don't really know what's going to happen. You can plan your events, you can plan your meetings, you can do all this other stuff. But at the end of the day, so much gets sucked in to the event horizon that is a presidential campaign. And so much more of it is reactive, Maya, than most people understand, because it's not just about the candidate being out there. That's really the furthest extent of a campaign's power, is how well it can demonstrate its candidate on a stage someplace away from the campaign headquarters. It's whether or not the person sitting in the campaign manager's chair knows what the hell they're doing. It's whether or not the person who's running a communications department, which is basically an in-house PR firm, knows how to deal with this stuff all day, every day. It's whether or not the vetters, right, who are supposed to take care of whether or not Ron DeSantis is on the stage with a retired neo-Nazi, whatever. All of these things have to happen, and they have to happen pretty well. They don't for Trump. Trump is the antidote to normalcy. The rest of them have to live within the conventional world because they are politicians. Trump isn't a politician. He's never going to be. But DeSantis is. And so you see, like, 
he took on this position about Ukraine is not vital to the national security interests of the United States. That's a fundamentally anti-small-D democratic position. It's also a fundamentally unserious position for the president of the United States, because what it says is NATO, our allies, the Western alliance, everything else, and America being a beacon of democracy doesn't really matter. And then they throw in the stuff that I talked about earlier, the border, fentanyl, drag queens, whatever the hell it is. They're fundamentally unserious. And DeSantis is going to get called on this stuff because right now he's about a mile wide and an inch deep. The mile wide isn't particularly attractive and the inch deep isn't particularly compelling. I feel like I went to high school with guys like Ron DeSantis, and he is making the mistake of thinking that the rest of the country is Florida. And it's like that big fish in the small swamp thinks he's going to go out into the rest of the country and that his politics are going to play out well. I think he did himself a disservice putting so many ads out there, in particular the Top Gun ad. You know, part of the benefit of being the underdog is flying under the radar. And I think he shot himself in the foot by coming out so hot. So now people are starting to see all of his fascist policies that he's pushing through in Florida that they otherwise wouldn't have heard of. And so half the country now, Democrats and independents alike, progressive people are looking at what he's doing in Florida. And when in history have people outside of a state had lists of bad bills that are being pushed through? I'm seeing it all over social media where everyone's like, you've got to see this bill that's coming out of Florida, this bill that's coming out of Florida. So people are well aware of the disenfranchisement of black voters, of the oppression of LGBTQ students, of the banning of books in schools. I mean, this guy is anti-teacher, seems to be anti-business. And so he's coming out against everything that traditional conservatives would have stood for, while also attacking everything that Democrats and progressives stand for. And he's doing it in a place where he's safe because he's the governor, but the entire country is seeing it for what it is. And so I think that's going to meet with a huge backlash if he were to get the nomination. But I do think that Trump will eviscerate him before that even actually happens. Well, and, and as we've talked about before, even if he wins the nomination, he's now going to be running against both Joe Biden and Donald Trump. So look, guys, we're a long way from anything here. He hasn't announced. Just remember that eight years ago, there was a guy named Scott Walker who used to be governor of Wisconsin. He gave a sort of, you know, barn burning speech in Iowa in June of 2015 that catapulted him to the top of the Republican primary field. You know what? He was out of money and out of business by September. Four months. This stuff is a lot harder than it looks. A lot of the people who do it for a living think because they've run a governor's race in Florida or they've done this or they've done that, that it prepares you. And it doesn't. As someone who's been through four of them, right, Maya? Like it's always different. And it's always the hardest thing you've ever done. You can learn from the experiences you've had, but it never gets easier because the dynamics change all the time. When I first worked for George W. Bush in 1999, we had Nokia cell phones. We got our schedules faxed to our hotel rooms in whatever little town we were in. You know, we carried printers with us because there was no other way to print some of the documents we needed. It was a novelty that somebody had a BlackBerry that didn't do anything but send emails, right? It didn't make a phone call, right? You still needed a phone that we still had an AT&T representative that traveled with us 
because we had to pull hardline phone lines into a press filing center, Maya, so that the reporters could log on to dial up internet to file their stories. So they could have phones on their tables at their places where they could call back to their bureaus. That was 24 years ago. The world changes that dramatically every cycle, not only technologically, politically, everything else. And so now you see DeSantis doing his shtick and you see Nikki Haley. Like These are campaigns of the George W. Bush era. Maybe if we're being kind, they're campaigns of the John McCain slash Barack Obama era. These are not modern campaigns. These are not modern events. They don't know what else to do. You know why? Because they are stuck in a paradigm that no longer exists, running for an office that they're not likely to win against a guy they can't beat. All right, let's finish off here, Maya, with some talk of third parties. Brian Nainer on Instagram asks, is there still a chance for Biden to beat Trump if there's a third party spoiler? This is a great question. And the answer is a third party candidate on enough ballots to take away votes from either Joe Biden or Donald Trump probably disproportionately takes away votes from Joe Biden, Maya. And whether or not it's the no labels program or anybody else, that is a Rube Goldberg machine to get Donald Trump reelected. Now, they could say it's not. They can call it an insurance policy against a, you know, a rematch between Biden and Trump. But the truth is, is that the Republican electorate is 90% white. It votes in lockstep. It is likely to stay with Trump unless you were to choose somebody to his right, which you're unlikely to do. A center-right candidate probably gives those Republicans that we talk to all the time, right, our ban-in-line voters, those soft Republicans who've given up on the GOP, Maya, it gives them a place to go where the name is not Joe Biden and the name is not leave it blank or stay home. And that fundamentally changes the dynamic of places like Michigan, Arizona, Nevada, Colorado, wherever it is. This is a dangerous game that these people are playing. It is a fundamentally undemocratic game that they're playing. The thing that they are trying to do is a vanity play by a very small number of very wealthy people who want a world to continue that is no longer in existence. And what they're telling us, in not so subtle a fashion, Maya, is that if they had the choice between Donald Trump back for a second term and all of the economic regression that he would bring, or a Joe Biden for a second term that would bring stability and a true bridge to the future, they'll take Trump. And we shouldn't let them off the hook for that, because that's what it is. A third party effort where they're not trying to get on all 50 state ballots, Maya. They're not even barely trying to get 270 electoral votes where they could quote unquote say they can win. And none of them have demonstrated how they can actually win in a three-way fight because I've done this, Rick's done this, Trigvi's done this. It doesn't work. It does not work. We've tried it. We've tried six waves from Sunday to try and figure out the math, the calculus, the geography, the politics, the candidate. It doesn't work. The only thing it's going to do is give disaffected Democrats and otherwise normal Republicans who would vote for a Joe Biden for a second term because they couldn't vote for Trump a place to go that puts Trump back in the Oval Office. It is fundamentally dangerous. It is irresponsible. It is saying, hey, you know what we need to do? The House is on fire, but how about we add a new wing to the House while it's burning, right? It is a ridiculous notion, and it should be seen as such.
I think the danger here too is that unfortunately a lot of people don't see that the house is burning because they are trying to live their own lives. And so when a third party candidate or a third party tries to come through, and I'm thinking about Andrew Yang and his emails that I get, it sounds reasonable. It sounds to the average person like, well, why wouldn't we want to be able to choose from more than one or two major parties? Shouldn't we have three? Shouldn't we have four? It sounds reasonable because people don't believe the house is on fire because they've been made to believe that they're safe if they're in a blue state or they've been made to believe that the threat is actually real and it's a MAGA and it's not MAGA, it's the wokeism. And so what scares me most about these third party efforts is because on the surface level, they do sound reasonable. They do sound desirable. Who wouldn't want variety? Well, look, and that's the thing. Nobody believes that American voters deserve more choices than me. But in this moment, don't screw around with things. The trouble here is, and because, I, like I said earlier, I don't know people who watch Fox News, but I do have a lot of friends and family who believe in a third party. Why? Because it's so easy to say to a Black person right now, what have the Democrats done for you? So there's an allure for people who haven't benefited from democracy in ways that other people have to say, oh, this system isn't working. It's not going to hurt me particularly to go with a third party. And that sends a message. It's almost like the third party right now, because it's not actually viable as far as creating a winner, is really just for people to send a message for people who feel disenfranchised, who feel that the system hasn't worked for them. And that's dangerous. Yeah. I mean, what we have seen, though, I mean, legitimately and in, in, in practice, though, is that if you ask the average American voter, should we have a third party? The answer is like 79%. When you ask them, would you actually vote for an independent? It goes to like 12. Because even if you're right, and I think you're right, and I think some of those criticisms are legitimate, nobody wants their vote wasted. Okay, yeah, I might send a message, but you know, am I really going to waste it on this guy or that gal when she's going to get 4%? And the answer is usually no. You know, I mean, it's a little bit different with Ralph Nader's or Jill Stein's or those people because the Greens and the Libertarians, like they have sort of, sort of a built-in base, right? They're going to get their number of votes. But the other thing too that all these third-party efforts lack, Maya, is belief. They don't really believe in anything. I've been in the middle of it. I have been guilty of this. If we just took a little bit from over here, and we just took a little bit from over there, and we put a shiny new face on it, and we call it forward or something else, shouldn't we all get along, bipartisanship, blah, 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 blah. You're right, it sounds good, but it's sort of like eating a thing, a Cool Whip. It tastes good, but at the end, you're empty and you don't feel very well. There's no substance to it because the Yangs of the world, first and foremost, what they want is to be liked. They want 75% of the country to like them, as opposed to figuring out how to get to an electoral calculus of, say, 40, 45% where you could actually win a race and make a difference. And I have to say, like, God bless them for being that idealistic, that they live in a world where they think that they're going to bring people together. I disagree. I think it's naivete. I think they claim it's idealism, but it's not, because they don't know what idealism is. You think they really believe they can bring people together? Because I find that so ridiculous and so Pollyanna. Because it's the whole idea. It's like, I want to break down the greatest political duopoly in modern human history 
but I want to do it without breaking any eggs. I want to do it clean. I want to do it without getting my hands dirty. Like the immune response from both parties, not just the Republican Party, but the Democratic Party is massive to these things. And there's a reason because the system is set up to keep out interlopers. The system is set up to keep out outsiders. And so the idea that somehow you're just going to toddle onto the block with two gigantic bullies, right? And say, hey, you know what, guys, let's just all get along and let me participate. Like they're going to punch you into the ground like something out of Mortal Kombat. And the idea somehow that you can beat these people without taking them on is a fool's errand, either from a local party building perspective or from a third party presidential perspective. You're going to have to get out there and you're going to have to get dirty and you're going to have to tell people what you believe and you're going to have to make them believe it. And that's my thing is that like for a third party to be fundamentally successful, it has to be damn near revolutionary in its conception. It has to say the world has changed. These two parties refuse to change with it. And we have to go in this direction. And you have to be willing to suffer the slings and arrows. You have to be willing to do the work because that's the other thing. This is really freaking hard stuff. All 50 states have different rules how this stuff works. All of them designed to keep out new entrants, as I said. And if you don't have something that is going to capture the imagination from a belief perspective, if you don't have something that's going to tell those people you were talking about how I'm fundamentally going to change the system to make your life better after decades of empty promises, and I'm going to stand by those no matter how many shots in the back I have to take, it's not going to work. Because you know what? Humans can spot a bullshitter a mile away. And that's all this stuff is. It's all bullshit. As much as it pains me to say that, I know what it is. I've sold it. I've tried to sell it. And you know what? Not that many people buy it. Well, on that note, Maya, it's been great to see you. And I'll see you soon in Wisconsin and beyond. Maya, where can our folks find you on your various social media outlets? I am Maya on stage on all platforms, in particular on Peloton and TikTok. But I really need people to make sure that I'm getting on the bike because woof, in order to have the energy to get through the next couple of years, we're going to need to be in tip top shape. Shit, I know. You got to encourage me to get back on that thing. And right now it's a clothes rack in my bedroom. Um, all right, gang, as always, you can find me on Twitter and TikTok at Reed Galen. You can find me on Instagram at Reed underscore Galen underscore LP. Maya May, as always, thanks for joining me and everybody else. We'll see you next time. Thanks again to everyone for listening. Be sure to follow and subscribe to The Lincoln Project on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, or however you listen. Don't forget to leave a five-star review. To connect with us, follow us on Twitter, at Project Lincoln. And for more information on our movement, to join our mailing list, subscribe to our newsletter, or make a contribution to our efforts, visit lincolnproject.us. If you want to message the podcast directly, please send an email to podcast at lincolnproject.us and if you want to personally join the fight to save our nation's democracy visit jointheunion.us for the lincoln project i'm reed galen i'll see you on the next episode